Uh, like Alex said, we're finishing off the series of 1 Thessalonians, and I will be jumping into chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Uh, so that's 16 chapters, pretty much chock full of really good stuff. And so 20 minutes, I'm probably not going to be able to pull that off, but... Uh, I've picked out what I thought were the big things and the things that we could take away and really run with as a community. And uh, if you have questions beyond that, please ask Alex, ask me, ask your small group leaders. We'd love to have that conversation with you. So without further ado, uh, verses 12 through 15 are going to come up. That's the first chunk of verses that I think are focusing on one topic. And so that topic is how we should treat our community. So there is a way that we can treat our leaders and there's a way that we can treat the people that are in our community. And verses 12 and 13 really talk about that. So I'm going to talk, I'll read through 12 and 13 and, and we'll talk about it more. So we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So that verse is just talking about leaders and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so there's two things that I feel like we're being called to there. And the first thing is to respect and to love the leaders that are in your life. So leaders can be an official title and leaders can be an unofficial title. There are people in my life that I look up to that I see as a leader, but they're not like pastor or whatever. So with that, I think you have these people that are pouring into your life that are your leaders and we're called in these verses to respect and love them. On top of that, they're saying that those leaders are going to admonish us, which is, again, a fancy Bible word for basically they're going to caution us, and they're going to guide us, and they are going to lovingly correct us when we need it. And so loving and respecting that sounds like, oh, that's great. Like, that's what we should do. But I know for myself, and I'm sure a lot of you, when someone comes and corrects me, or pushes me in a different direction because they feel like I need to fix something, that's not my first reaction. Oh, well, thank you. Like, I needed that. No. Like, I'm, I'm usually defending myself. Like, uh, what do you know? You don't know the situation. You don't know what's happening. You don't know me. Like, you're just coming at me, right? But these verses are telling us, hey, we need to respect and love those people because they're actually sticking their neck out for you because they care about you and love you. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Think about the hard conversations that you've had with people where you feel like maybe they're straying away a little bit. That conversation is just as hard for that person who is admonishing you that it is for the person receiving the admonishment. So just remember, God is calling us to respect and love those leaders. And the cool part about this scripture is that it goes in two directions. So we learn as a community, okay, what do we do with leaders? How do we treat them, love and respect, and also what should the leaders be doing in return? Like what does this whole community and cycle look like? And so looking into verse 12 and 13 again, it says to respect those who labor among you, so they are to work hard, to work diligently, and to admonish us, so they are correcting us, they are watching over us, making sure that we are following Jesus to the best of our ability. And also, it focuses on us loving them because of their work. And again, so this is not a title. This is not a position like, oh, well, I love you because you're my pastor. 
No, I love you because of the work that you're putting in, the, the hard work, the hours that you put in for me to get closer to Jesus and that you care enough to push me in that direction. That's why we love them. And so I think that's something that's common. I think a lot of people, and Paul talks about it, people fall in love with a pastor because they love the personality or they love the way they talk or the whatever you love about a pastor. But when it boils down to it, love them for the work that they put in and the hard man hours that they're putting in to, to care for your spiritual life. And so that back and forth, I think, provides an active and loving environment and one that actually represents us and God. And so God is the one admonishing us. He's looking over us, caring for us, and we're called to love him. Right? The greatest commandment to love God. And so he is reflecting that relationship between us and our leaders. So we look at them, we respect them, we love them, and they work hard and care for us. Now we jump to verse 14, which I think focuses in on how we look as a community rather than just, okay, leaders, community, whatever, that's what it looks like. But now it's, okay, what's it look like around here with all of us? And so verse 14 says this, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So there's three big things saying there and first one is admonish the idol so i looked at a couple different translations and idol can sometimes be translated as unruly and so that's us going out and looking after our brother or sister in christ that has started to veer off the path right we're going to have that in our own lives we're going to have that in other people's lives where maybe they just start doing things and you're like hey i don't know if you're really on the right track right now and so it's having that tough conversation and being involved in that life that is huge. And reading through these verses and, and kind of what this builds on led me to this topic, I guess, or, or just a couple sentences that I think that Paul is really hitting home. And they're going to come up here, and it's, we need to stop being passive bystanders in each other's faith, Right? Like, we just stand by and, and we're like, okay, well, God will do what he's going to do, and, and they've got theirs, and I've got my faith, and it is what it is. I think we need to stop doing that. We need to step up and start being active brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, Paul is giving us all this information about here's what to do, and if I'm honest, I don't do most of these things, right? I'm not, I'm not putting my neck out for people to say, hey, I think maybe you're a little off right now. Can, can I talk to you? I wanna, I wanna love you in this way. Can, can we talk about what's going on? Most of the time I'm like, ah, oh, well, God, he'll figure that out with God and, and he'll be good. I don't think that's what Paul is calling us to. I think he's calling us to step in and be active, care for each other rather than just, eh, You'll be all right. I'll be a bystander and, and just watch your faith do what it's going to do. And so outside of admonishing the idol, secondly, it says we should encourage the faint-hearted. As you go through life, you will be faint-hearted and you will meet people who are faint-hearted, without a doubt. Life is hard. It's sinful. It's broken. And you're going to have ups and downs of life that you're never going to expect. And the important part is that we are encouraging one another in those times. Don't forget the biggest encouragement you could ever give to somebody. You have a relationship with the father of the entire earth, right? 
the God of the universe knows your name. Telling someone that is extremely powerful, especially when they're in the lows, right? The God of the universe knows your name. Don't forget to remind people of that. I know sometimes we get into it and we're like, well, I don't want to be cliche and, and I don't want to just say stuff they've always heard, but at the same time, bring them back to the truth. Find a truth that is applicable to what they're going through. Don't just say, okay, well, I'll pray for you. And then you usually don't. Find something for them. What are you going through? Can we talk about it? Can I remind you of this truth? Because I feel like God wants you to know this. Next it says, we need to help the weak. Once again, everybody is going to be weak at some point in time in their walk with Christ especially early on. Like when you first accept Christ, you don't know much. What's this look like? How do I do this? And that's where we have to step in as a community and say, hey, let's walk together and let's figure this out together. Let me show you what this looks like. They may be weak in faith now, but they need somebody to grow them. And so I hope that next as a community is one that stewards growth, not just community, which is great, but a growing community. I hope that I get to walk alongside some of you and take steps towards Christ together because I think that's what community is really about. I think that's what, call, what we're called to here by Paul saying that we need to help the weak. And lastly, the most important part and the part that we probably are the worst at, be patient with everybody. So you will meet the faint-hearted, you'll meet the weak, you'll meet those people who need admonished. Be patient with them. Nobody wants to be just like dragged along, like, come on, let's go, like, you know what you're supposed to do. Nobody wants that. Come alongside people and say, hey, let's figure this thing out. Your greatest concern should be someone's heart and their love for Jesus. Not making sure they get through whatever they're getting through. Right, I think we get so mission-focused of like, oh, I'll, I'll fix this for you. I'll fix it. One, we probably can't fix anything spiritually. So just be with them. Be patient. These things take time. There are questions that people will rest, wrestle with the rest of their lives. That's the reality of it. And so for you to expect them to just, okay, like it's been long enough. You probably should be over this. That's not patient. It's their timetable, how long it's going to take them to get through it. You can encourage them, but along the way, be as patient as you possibly can. Especially with the life that we live, right? Our entire lives are, how fast can I get information? How fast can I get a product out? How fast can I make money? How fast can I graduate school? How fast, how fast, how fast? Slow down. People don't want to live a fast-paced lifestyle. Like, we just went to New York last weekend, and there were some ladies that I couldn't even keep up with. They're like, I gotta, they're, they're flying. I'm like, what are you, where are you going? Like, slow down. Like, life, life is not meant to be 400 miles an hour all the time. God wouldn't call us to be patient if he wanted us to be flying. Relationship, love, care, it's patient. It takes time. Our world right now is not about time. It is about time, but in the wrong way. How quick can we do stuff? 
no, that's crap. Be patient with people. That's what people want. Finally, verse 15. Uh, I think it's just a reminder. Uh, our hearts are really broken, and we love revenge. We love it. We want to get back. We want to feel like things are even. Okay, we're square now. That's not what God's saying. Verse 15, it says, Seek that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's not revenge. Bad things are going to happen. Bad people are going to come your way. It's kind of like the kill them with kindness method, but you really just you kind of want them to believe in Jesus and save them with kindness. It's patience. It's love. It's care. It's not revenge. But our hearts are tuned that way. So you got to catch yourself. I'm not going to stand up here and say I don't want revenge on people. That's my sinful nature. It's there. But God is calling me to deny that. So I think it's important for us to do that. The next chunk of scripture drops down. It's verses 16 through 19, which will also come up on the screen for us. And uh, man, I wrestled with these verses quite a bit. So I hope hope you can feel kind of what I'm, I'm getting at. So verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. So verse 16 starts off with rejoice always. So I'm preparing this talk, writing everything down because I handwrite because I'm crazy. But I'm writing all this stuff down and I'm like, how the heck am I going to tell 50 people you should just be rejoicing always? What in the world do I say to tell people, hey, God's telling us to rejoice always, just do it. So there's got to be more to it. So I'm asking God, I'm like, God, why are you saying this? How, what do I say? What, in what way can I portray this to where what you want? And so after wrestling with that and thinking and praying, I landed in this, which is on the slide. We can rejoice always because what we rejoice in never wavers or changes. The most beautiful truth that I can give that really sums this up is God is never changing. He will never change. He's been the same. He loves you the same. He loves you more than what you know. And we can rejoice in that every minute of every day. Am I asking you to rejoice because life sucks right now? Absolutely not. Because life will suck sometimes. Am I saying that you have the ability to rejoice because God has saved you? That's truth, and I want you to know that truth. God is on your side. He loves you. He cares for you. He's with you in those moments when life does stink. But you can rejoice in the fact that, hey, my life stinks right now. What I'm going through is super hard, but I know that my God is here with me through it. And so circumstances, like I said, they'll always change, but they're temporary, and you can't put your rejoicing in a circumstance because it will go, right? I rejoice in my job, then you get fired. I rejoice in my fill-in-the-blank. I I don't know, whatever you're rejoicing in, everything is temporary except for God and his love for you. So choose to rejoice in that, and you can always rejoice 
Next, verse 17, another uh, doozy. And I'm telling you, I was just kind of wrestling. Pray without ceasing. Again, how do I get up in front of 50 people and tell them, hey, just never stop praying? Thanks, Zach. Like, okay, what, what do I do with that, right? Pray without ceasing. Again, my worldly mind ran with that. Like, what do I do? What do I say? How do I? I, I, don't, I don't know. And again, I felt like God was answering that through first just crushing some stereotypes about prayer. There are some stereotypes out there, especially if you grew up more traditional. And I might hurt some feelings, and it is what it is, but I think it's truth. I think God is saying these things, and the only way we can pray without ceasing is, is calling these for what they are. The first one, the use of voice in prayer is not essential. Now, I'm not saying it's not important. Don't hear me wrong. Praying out loud is very important. It's confidence, it's boldness, it's good. But what I'm also telling you, when you're having a hard conversation with a coworker and you wanna say, God, tell me what to do. What do I say? Obviously, you're not gonna <laughs> spit that out at whoever you're talking to, but in your brain, you can be praying, Lord, please give me the words. I say that all the time because I work in a school. I can't talk openly about God. And so it's constant like, tell me, what do I say? What do I do? And so this, there's a stereotype that, man, I have to be praying out loud. I have to be this. I, no. That's a conversation for you and God. No one else really needs to hear. Second one, the posture is not primarily important. So there are some people that grew up, like, if you're not down on your knees praying, it's not going anywhere. Or if you don't cross your hands and close your eyes, it's God's not listening. There's a place for those things. I'm not going to say I haven't prayed on my knees before or I don't cross my hands and close my eyes. But again, don't let that stop you from praying out just in the midst of a moment. You don't need to stop and if you need that momentary prayer, send it, right? Why wait? Third one, the place of prayer is not of great importance. I know a lot of people that feel like they're only supposed to pray in here. No. Right? This is a great place to pray. I love praying in here. But if you just pray in there, you're missing out. Because God wants to talk to you all day long. If you wait till Sunday at 9 o'clock to talk to God, you're missing a lot of good stuff. Four, the time of prayer is not of great importance. And I kind of hit this a little bit. Sometimes you just have those, I just call them flare prayers. Like you're just shooting them up. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Help me, help me, help me. It doesn't have to be thought out. It doesn't have to be like this big to do to set up and pray. Yes, that's great if you want to sit down and spend the time with the Lord like that. But in momentary things, there's not a lot of time to do those things. So those, those four things, I think tradition has made us worry more about them than really the importance of them. Like I said, I'm not saying any of those things aren't important. Don't hear that. But I'm saying that they're not necessary for you to pray. It's not completely like you cannot pray without doing these things. That's not true. 
And I know it's not true because the scripture says, pray without ceasing. If I want to pray all day long, I could be talking to God in a flowing conversation. And so I landed on this, and it'll come up on the slide. Pray without ceasing. Praying without ceasing comes from flowing daily dialogue with God. And that could be a time prayer in the morning, and then throughout the day you're just thinking about him. I don't know what, what that looks like for you, but however you can have a daily dialogue with God and just be talking to him. Hey, God, what's this look like? Why am I here? What is that happening over there? Should I be over there? Man, if you can get to that spot where you are just constantly talking to God in a daily dialogue, I think that's what he's saying here by praying without ceasing. Just keep talking. He wants to listen to you. Keep talking. Next one, uh, it doesn't lighten up. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. So another one where like, what do I tell people who are just going through it right now? Give thanks, be thankful. So again, just, just wrestling through that and, and, and asking God, what does that look like? And I think, I, I felt like I was redirected to how it's written. I think God is perfect in the way that he writes things. I know that he's perfect. And so it says, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Some of our circumstances, like I mentioned earlier, are not going to be good. You're not going to like them all, right? People pass away. People, things get hard. I don't like that. But it doesn't ask me to be thankful for those circumstances. It asks me to be thankful in those circumstances. That's a huge difference. So what I think that means is we have something to always be thankful for. The fact that Jesus died for us to save us, to give us a relationship with God, is something we can be forever thankful for, and we will never be thankful enough for. And so I don't think God's calling you to be thankful that something bad is happening. I think he's calling you to just be thankful for what you have in all circumstances. He understands that something's going on, but he doesn't want you to ever forget, man, you have a relationship with me. We could talk all day long. That is being thankful in those circumstances because you can be thankful for what he's done. So it's up on the slide too. So give thanks in all circumstances. If we can give thanks by remembering what we should ultimately be thankful for, Jesus. And with every circumstance that comes through, there's not one that can take that away from you. As I mentioned earlier, circumstances, temporary. They're going to go away eventually. Jesus, it's not going anywhere. It's right there. So just that encouragement that he is always there. And I love the last part, and it's verse 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If the Bible is saying this is the will of God for you, my ears are perking. What? That's God trying to say something. This is the will of God for you to have these three things as a part of your life. 
And so I would very understandably be sitting in your seat and saying, Zach, that's awesome, but I can't do that. How the heck am I going to pray without ceasing? How am I going to be rejoicing always? How? I can't do that. And I would look at you and I would say, you're right. And I think that's why God gave us verse 23 and 24. Verse 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so you're right. Do I have the strength to do these things day in, day out, every day, all day? No. No way. I'm not even going to pretend. I barely have enough strength to talk to God every day because my sinful nature. But God knew that and gave us verses 23 and 24 and said, I will sanctify you. I will grow you. I will care for you. I will love you. And so there's ups and downs with this, right? No one's perfect. But committing to those three things, praying without ceasing, rejoicing always, giving thanks in all circumstances, and reminding yourself of Jesus that is going to light the spirit up in your, in your body. And that's where the last part closes out. Kind of skipped it, but I'm going to go back. Do not quench the spirit. There's a Holy Spirit that's your best friend, and it lives inside of you, and it will move. Don't stop it. Again, easy thing for me to say, hard to do, but... The Holy Spirit is moving and wants to move and wants you to do these amazing things for God. Don't quench the Spirit. I think that's what they're saying in verse 19. Don't ever quench it. Give it the opportunity for God to show. So, again, it's, it's not our strength. It's, it's God alone. I want to leave you with these are awesome things to dive into. Don't be hard on yourself. Jump in. Do all you can to let the Spirit shine and see what God could do. Let me pray for that. Uh, Father, thank you for next. Thank you for uh, the fact that I can go five minutes over and Alex still loves me. Um, uh, just thank you for these people. Again, I cannot thank you enough for this ministry, for this community, for, for all that they do for each other and that I get to be a witness to. Man, God, it is amazing. Uh, we love you, Lord, and, and we just we pray that we're reminded of those three things always. Um, God, help us to just rejoice in all things and, and be thankful in all circumstances. And Father, just to, to give you the time of day to, uh, to pray without ceasing. Um, yeah, God, help us to just care for our vertical relationship with you and, and also care for our community and love them the way that you have designed us. Uh, we love you, and it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.